Hi, this is Ken Morton Jr., and you are listening to episode number 35 of the Hazel Rockets podcast. I'm super excited. We have another great guest and interview this week that we're going to get to share with all of you. Um, and this particular one is about a, a topic that is kind of near and dear to our hearts. It is the uh, we're going to be talking all things about the legendary course designer Alistair McKenzie. And uh, if those of you that follow us, you know that we have a Alistair McKenzie golf course here in Sacramento. It is called the Hagen Oaks Golf Course, and that's kind of where our home of this podcast is. Mackenzie designed our golf course back in 1931, and we, uh, to this day, are uh, potentially, I believe, the only municipal golf course that's still in existence that was one of his original designs. And although our uh, design track has changed some from his original design, Many of his design elements still are very much in play out there. And uh, when I get a chance to talk to Mr. Gary Nelson, who is uh, with the Alistair McKenzie Historical Society, we're going to talk a little bit about what makes McKenzie designs so unique and so special and how they really kind of draw on some of the uh, unique things that he learned in the military of all places to bring into golf. Um, if you don't know who Mr. McKenzie is, uh, you uh, deserve to uh, do a deep dive, one of those kind of uh, uh, go down the uh, wishing well of holes and, and, and figure out all of the different golf courses he has designed around the world. Um, he is a Golf Hall of Fame member, and um, although his design uh, time that he actually designed golf courses was actually a very narrow window of time. He was very, very prolific, and uh, whereas most designers will actually uh, spend lots of time in the golf course that's being worked from start to finish, McKenzie didn't do that. He would actually do design and then uh, leave it to a company uh, or, or people in his uh, steed to actually uh, put through his vision and then would go on and travel to his next uh, location. A little bit about Mackenzie. He was actually born in West Yorkshire, England, and he actually attended the University of Cambridge in 1888 and to study medicine. And uh, after various positions, he was actually licensed as a physician back in 1895. And he, uh, but was a very avid golfer. He was actually uh, a member of his local club, Leeds Golf Course. And uh, although he uh, recommended lots of changes out onto that particular golf course, none were taken to heart. And by 1900, he was actually called into service as a surgeon during the Boer War. And he was uh, seeing active duty firsthand. Mackenzie was able to witness his enemy's adeptness as camouflage, and meaning that they were actually, this was back in the days when they would actually dig trenches and uh, create hills, and and when they were uh, lobbing uh, bombs and grenades and, and doing hand-to-hand -hand combat, you could actually create uh, visions that would insinuate that you were either farther or away or closer than what you really were. And it was uh, in his observations during that that he actually uh, would take some of that and adopt them later on out in golf. That passion would actually influence his design and, and compel him to ensure that everything he touched would be indistinguishable from nature. That's a really big hallmark of Mackenzie. Um, after the Boer War and before the First World War I, 
uh, he actually began to implement what he would become some of the you know foundation principles of golden age of golf design. And he would be involved with Al Woodley Golf Course. Um, he worked with the legendary Harry Colt, who has designed some of the uh, most um, uh, sought-after golf courses over in uh, England and Ireland and Scotland. And um, he uh, was involved with a course in Moortown. And then um, he uh, would actually then start traveling around the world. Uh, he would, uh, in the 20s, he actually set his sight on America. And uh, in 1926, between January and March, he visited Long Island and uh, then would go on uh, west and meet with uh, Robert Hunter at Cypress Point and uh, look at the uh, completion of Monterey Peninsula Clincher Club. And it was that point in time that he was talking about things like uh, Pasatiempo and uh, the golf, uh, Sacramento Golf Club, which again would in turn be uh, uh, Hagen Oaks Golf Course, and then off to go visit uh, Crystal Downs and go down under. And during that conversation, uh, was connected, and we'll talk about this in the interview with a uh, a lady, uh, Marion Hollins, who connected him with Bobby Jones. And it would be at that point in time that that connection would be made and he would go on to uh, do the designs of Augusta National, which probably in all of his uh, amazing golf courses, even, you know, even despite 16 at Cyprus, which might be the perfect golf hole, certainly Augusta National as a 18 hole golf course uh, might be one of the crown jewels uh, around the world with the Masters being played on it. So, um, unfortunately for him, he never got a chance to actually see the completion of Augusta National. Uh, he would actually make home at Pasatiempo in Santa Cruz and would uh, end up passing away um, in uh, 1933 before the golf course was opened. And he, at the time, was virtually penniless, which is really hard to imagine with as uh, sought after as all of his designs are now. But unfortunately, as life works, sometimes you uh, you sometimes are more famous uh, post-life than, uh, than when you're alive. And I think with great artists, that's a fairly common theme. And, and Mackenzie was certainly a an artist of golf course design. You fast forward, you know, uh, many lifetimes later, um, there is now something called the Alistair McKenzie Historical Society, and it's a collection of 15 renowned McKenzie design golf clubs that want to focus in on his history, the preservation and perpetuity, uh, the perpetuity of Alistair McKenzie design principles that make golf such an enjoyable pastime for golfers of all skill levels. They get together um, either every year or every other year for a, a society gathering. Uh, they actually have a small uh, history museum that's now there at uh, Pasatiempo down in Santa Cruz that uh, collects a lot of his old artifacts and uh, a lot of the educational uh, elements that have uh, been uncovered since his uh, untimely passing. And uh, it was with that uh uh, through that organization that I was able to develop an interview with our next guest. And so we're really excited to have Mr. Gary Nelson, who has been a board member for the Historical Society for many years, is one of the preeminent historians on Mr. McKenzie, and we'll get to the chance to uh, kind of learn all things about his life, 
as design elements and why uh, his design principles are so important to nearly every single uh, current course designer that uh, exists today and how his design elements really kind of went out of fashion maybe in the 70s and 80s but now with designers like Core and Crenshaw really uh, kind of recapturing the magic that was all things Mackenzie. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Mr. Gary Nelson to Hazel Rockets. Well, Gary, thank you for joining us on Hazel Rockets. Um, I'm very excited to talk to you about uh, one of the most legendary course designer in, in, that ever existed. Um, maybe we start a little bit about the Alistair McKenzie Historical Society and, and kind of how it got started and um, kind of what it is. Sure. We, um, the McKenzie Society actually started in 1987. Um, I was lucky enough to, uh, to be the club champion at Middle Club at the time, which is a, uh, an Alistair McKenzie course in Marin County. Uh, his actually is his first in uh, in America, um, and uh, I was asked to be on the board, but I had a lot of irons in the fire, and I didn't uh, think that I had the uh, the time to give it what it needed. So I asked him if I could do something else for the club instead, and uh, they said, "What would you like to do?" And I said, "Well, I played all the McKenzie courses in California, and I think that it would be uh, nice if we would invite them to the Meadow Club for a little two days of uh, of light competition and, and talks about McKenzie and how we can preserve our courses." So that was just done in 1987, and and uh, we had four of the McKenzie courses uh, come to the Meadow Club, and. Uh, that was the uh, the actual start of the McKenzie Society. We um, we incorporated in 1995. Um, we had uh, two years of uh, hiatus. Uh, the year after Meadow Club, we went to Green Hills, and then we were uh, scheduled to go to Pastiempo. But for uh, particular reasons, we didn't go to Pastiempo until uh, two years after, and. Uh, there at Pastiempo in 1992, we um, had our we brought in our first um, international me uh, members. Uh, the Lahinch uh, group uh, or a couple from Lahinch uh, joined us, and uh, they uh, said they would like to join the McKenzie Society, and that was that was fine. So the next year, the uh, society met at of um, the Valley Club at Montecito. And the, there we decided that we were going to incorporate into a society. And it was there also at Pasatiempo that uh, you guys kind of made a, a home of sorts, you know, because Mackenzie's home was there, correct? Yes. At, at Pasatiempo, we... Um, let me just backtrack just a bit. Uh, in that first meeting at Meadow Club, pretty much the groundwork that has existed to this day uh, for the McKenzie Society gatherings was um, uh, was was put into action. The, we would have a uh, a very informal tournament with a mixing of uh, different handicaps of members. Uh, the members would come from from all handicapped groups, uh, 
from uh, scratch players and the pros and the uh, club champions all the way up to uh, to handicaps in the teens. And uh, we would also have a meeting uh, for historical preferences or we're talking about uh, construction and, and the preservation of McKenzie courses. And then we would have a meeting, uh, excuse me, a dinner that uh, all the uh, participants would be spread out uh, amongst themselves, uh, amongst uh, other members from other clubs. And that that particular format is cons- is consistent with what we do today. At, um, at Pas Tiempo in 1992, uh, the the, um, the director from Pastiempo, uh, Barry Staley, uh, took it upon himself to invite a, uh, a guest speaker, and it happened to be Ron Witten. The at that time, Ron was the golf course uh, architect editor for uh, um, Golf Digest, and we were having a dinner at. Um, a cocktail party, rather, at uh, McKenzie's home on the uh, sixth fairway at Pastiempo, par five. He's, his uh, home is on the left-hand side. It's commemorated by a plaque uh, on the course uh, adjacent to the house, but it's about uh, a wedge distance from the green on the uh, left-hand side of the fairway. And Ron and I were were in the house and, and uh, talking and um moving around the house he kept looking up and after a while i, I said hey, ron what what are you looking for up there you know he's like, looking up at the ceiling he says i wonder if this has an addict and i go mm, well we can ask the owners here so we went and asked the owner and he said yes there was and ron said could we take a look at it he says well you can but it's empty we uh we redid the house a few years ago and we emptied the attic and so I asked Ron, I said, what, what were you uh, concerned about? What were you looking for? And he says, well, Mackenzie wrote a second book. Uh, it's called The Spirit of St. Andrews, and it's been lost. Um, we, we, we know that there must be a copy someplace, and I thought there might be a copy here. And I said, oh, that was the first I had heard of, the, uh, of this legendary second book that uh, Mackenzie had written. But um, anyway, it wasn't there. Uh, between the time that we met at the past tempo and the time that we met at, at uh, uh, Valley Club, uh, past tempo got a phone call from a, uh, a gentleman up in Colorado, and he identified himself as Mackenzie's step grandson, and he had now started playing golf and he was is his uh, hope that he could play the uh, some of the courses that his uh, his stepfather had um, had uh, developed and, and uh, designed he was um, uh, shunted over to uh, Barry Staley who was the director of past tempo and Barry said yeah more than happy you're welcome uh, here's some you know numbers of other people at, at mckenzie courses oh and by the way if you have any mckenzie memorabilia uh could you bring it with him and the reason he did that was at the uh at the meeting with witten uh 
after the cocktail party, we had a, a meeting of the uh, the directors of the McKinsey Society and and uh, and Ron, and he said it was getting very difficult to uh, uh, to research McKinsey because most of his um, of his um, paperwork, you know, w- was being lost. He didn't keep much himself, and and in various courses they would, you know throw things away or fires would consume or, you know, for whatever reason, there wasn't much on McKinsey. And he said it would be uh, great if, you know, everybody could, could look. So all the, uh, all the, the courses went back and kind of went through their archives and everything else thinking that there really wasn't much out there on McKinsey. Uh, and that was the reason, uh, uh Staley asked, uh, uh, Mackenzie's grandson, whose name was um, Haddock, Freeman Haddock, uh, who was um, a um, executive for a um, uh, insurance uh, company up in Colorado, and he uh, he came down to Pasatiempo, and with him he brought this box, which had a bunch of Mackenzie's memorabilia, including a carbon copy of the complete text of the uh, Spirit of St. Andrews. And so uh, Barry Staley stayed up all night reading it and just was just blown away. Uh, the McKenzie Society got uh, Sleeping Bear Press, to, uh, which was a, a press up in um, uh, by Crystal Downs, uh, to to print it, and it uh, came out the uh, the year that they had the um, uh, the open at St. Andrews, and Ray Haddock went over. Uh, they had twenty five thousand copies there. It sold out in two days. Wow. Uh, lines for his signing went all the way around the block. Um, Haddock was over there signing the books, and so it was uh, it was uh, just an amazing phenomena. And uh, with that money, um, Haddock uh, donated $25,000 to the uh, McKenzie Society to, um, to promote a, uh, a contest each year, like the, the um, contest that McKenzie won that kind of prominent, uh, promoted him into the, uh, the prominence in, in, uh, in England in, for golf course architecture. Um, he had won the, this Lido Prize uh, for golf course architecture and design of a, a, a uh, of a two-shot hole. So the McKinsey Society started the Lido Prize competition, which is open to uh, anybody who is not a architect of record, which means an architect that has has his name on a, a particular course, and it's um, the uh, the way that that. Is run. It's every year. There's a uh, uh, a notice as to the uh, the type of hole and the type of land that it's going to be on, and then uh, we ask for uh, submissions, and we get I don't know how many. You know, it varies, but sometimes hundred, sometimes you know seventy. Uh, wonderful renditions of, of hole designs on this particular plot of land and uh, and they uh, we, we the McKenzie Society uh, uh, 
board of directors, and particularly Jean Gennardi, uh, who runs the Lido Prize for the Society, who is a member of uh, Green Hills Country Club, um, bring it down to about 10. And then we have a uh, an architect of record uh, look at the uh, the 10 and pick a winner uh, every year. The architects that we uh, have have been, you know, Ben Crenshaw and... and um, Oh boy, Arnold Palmer. Uh, they're they're both pretty good, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, Nick Faldo. Uh, yeah, it's they they've really uh, they and, and they picked the final one. It's all done blind. Uh, the the name of the uh, of the submitter is not attached to his uh, submission. But uh, it's it's very interesting. We've had uh, the winners have been, you, you know. Uh, 13-year-old boys. Uh, uh, we have submissions from people from convicts in in prison. Uh, wow. uh, I mean, it's it's just an amazing thing, and the and the design of the holes are just uh, are just tremendous. In fact, later I think this uh, this year uh, we will have a um, a section on our uh, on our website uh, showing uh, showing those design winners over the last uh, uh, 25 years. Uh, seeing some of those uh, those drawings, there, I mean, in such uh, creativity that goes into each one of them. When it comes, let me switch gears a little bit. Maybe in talking about the man himself, I've always found it fascinating that his, um, you know, here we have this, you know, literal international legendary golf course designer, but some of the earliest aspects of his uh of his designs weren't necessarily from golf but from some of his wartime work and thought maybe you you could uh maybe have a kind of a diving point on on that point well sure uh mckinsey uh entered the uh the boer war um as a um uh as a civil uh Surgeon, uh, and he was attached to a a, a group of uh, of uh, infantry down there, and and um, uh, he saw uh, for himself uh, what was happening during the Boer War. The uh, the Boers used camouflage techniques to hide their smaller number of troops, and the uh, the British, who were just uh, probably fifteen years away from wearing red coats. Um, and you know we're we're still uh, more traditional in the way that they uh, they fought war. They uh, they fought in uh, in columns and uh, were had to be held under the strict control of the uh, uh, of the the the, uh, the officers and and uh, they were they're kind of wiped out. They were wiped out kind of like fifteen or twenty to one. Uh, with Boer casualties, and the reason for that was the the Boers uh, chose their their ground, and they uh, they, they laid out um, uh, defensive positions. But the thing was that when you looked, Mackenzie went out on the battlefield afterwards uh, to try to help the uh, the wounded and things, and and he would see what the Boers had done from from the. Um, from the British side, you'd look out, and it would look like a field. But once you got over that field 
to the Boer side and looked back, you could see all these these bunkers that had been been placed in these uh, battlements that had been placed that were camouflaged from the British, and the um, uh, and the, the Boers could could get from one place to another safely, and um, and, and retreat, and so. Mackenzie started to look at it, and, and uh, when he got home, and this would have been right around the turn of the century, uh, he, he kept thinking about you know the go- he, golf courses design and, and the way that the uh, the Boers had uh, had had made it you know had looked so um, from the Boer side of a battlefield that it looked so intimidating, and, and yet from the uh, from the uh, English side, it, it, it looked so benign, and uh, so in, uh, he became a founding member of the Allwoodley Golf Club, the first golf club that is credited to him for design. And uh, it was to be designed; it was going to be uh, the land was going to be given to them by uh, uh, an English lord uh, who, in Leeds, and the. Um, and the the uh, the design of the course was given to Harry Colt, and uh, Colt came out and visited the land and drew out the plans and everything. And during that time, Mackenzie invited Colt over to his house, and um, Colt got to his house, and Mackenzie had all these plasticine uh, drawings of I mean, excuse me, layouts of holes. There were full models. Of, uh, of holes showing uh, showing bunkering and greens and things like this and Colt was very impressed and they got into a tremendous discussion on golf course architecture and everything else enough to a point where Colt went off to uh, southern France to build some courses and left Mackenzie in charge of the uh, the building of, of Allwoodley well uh, it was all that I guess Mackenzie needed because he uh, he changed the routings and changed some holes and and um, made par fives, par threes, and put in new par fives. And Colt came back and he looked and he looked. Now the the uh, the work was pretty much uh, uh, completed as far as the uh, the layout went and, and the uh, construction. And uh, he looked at it and he goes. Uh, okay, and uh, they they became partners, and uh, so that was the uh, the first of the uh, of the courses that uh, Mackenzie had designed. Uh, the second was he he did some some other you know uh, consulting and uh, bunker work and things like that on other courses around during the next years. But uh, a few years later, uh, right across the street from. Uh, all with a golf club, uh, a group of, of rich merchants in uh, in Leeds um, decided that they wanted a course as well, and they hired Mackenzie uh, to do this. And the, the course basically was a drive and a five iron away from uh, the uh, entrance to to Allwoodley, and and but the uh, the merchants didn't have uh, uh, you know enough. Confidence or money um, to uh, to build the entire course, but they leased the property, and then, McK- then they asked Mackenzie, "Is you know, uh, could you build the course?" And he says, "We only have you know five thousand pounds here, and that's not enough." And he, he they said, "Well, what can you do?" And he says, well, "I'll tell you what, I'll build you a single hole, 
I'll sing it, but the whole will be so good that you can show it to your pro- prospects, your prospective members, and, and they can, uh, you know, that you can get them to join the club, and, and that way you'll get enough money to build the entire course. And that's when he built the Gibraltar Hole on Moortown. And uh, Moortown was his, uh, his second uh, full course. And, of course, Moortown was the, uh, uh, the venue for the first Ryder Cup that was ever played in Great, in, uh, Great Britain. Wow. Wow. He would, I know, I mean, at that time, you know, like Colt, there was a lot of golf courses built in a, a very tight geographic region. Mackenzie traveled, you know, to Australia and to the U.S. and, I mean, literally around the world to build golf courses, which was fairly unusual at the time, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Um, it was uh, uh, it was very unusual, and, and that's the first thing that struck me when I uh, when I really began to look at McKenzie is, you know, is how in the world in a in a time when there wasn't any airplanes, and and travel was so arduous, uh, did the man do what he did in a very short you know space of time, and uh, here's. Here's basically the uh, uh, the story of how he got to America. Uh, Australia had the uh, uh, he had a had a golf course, uh, the uh, uh, Royal Melbourne, and they wanted to move the whole course out to a sand belt. Uh, that was some, you know, three or four miles away from the original course, and they wanted to uh, to hire an architect. So they sent an attorney, uh, who was a member of the club, uh, over to St. Andrews to ask them who would be their uh, their pick for a uh, the best architect to do this job for them. And Mackenzie at the time was the uh, the golf course uh, architect of. Uh, 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 on that was assigned to St. Andrews, and uh, they he was he was told about it, and so the guy went to uh, down and to see Mackenzie, who was at that time uh, down in Leeds, and, and he uh, says, "Well, um, uh, we, you know, could you come over and do this?" And they struck a bargain. Uh, it was quite a good one. He was going to make five thousand uh, pounds to uh, to come over there and design their course. And they would pay for all of his transportation, you know, which was, you know, I mean, pretty good. And but they, being being a, a very sharp attorney, he says, if you do any other courses uh, in the uh, while you're in Australia, uh, Royal Melbourne will get half the fee. <laughs> and so, so he uh, he gets on a a. a a boat and comes over to the United States and takes a train across the uh, uh, the continent, uh, ending up in San Francisco. Now he had uh, gotten in touch with uh, Robert Hunter, who was a um, a golfer and had written a book called The Links. And he uh, and uh, Mackenzie had met Hunter uh, over in England and, and they had become friends. So he had phoned Hunter. Uh, Hunter was uh, also a um, a a person who had uh, been involved with the possibility of building a club, uh, a golf club in Marin County, and uh, there was a number of very rich uh, uh, 
Scott uh, in uh, in Marin County that wanted to build a golf course. And so when Mackenzie stopped in um, in San Francisco on the way over to Royal Melbourne, they uh, they had him up to look at the uh, the land at the Meadow Club, which uh, is now on called Bon Tempe Meadow. So he uh, he went up there and he uh, dis- uh, said he would design the course, and they designed the course, and um, leaving Hunter there to uh, to, to do the final uh, details on the uh, on the course. Now Hunter had originally done a, a plan for the Meadow Club. Uh, you know, sketched it out, but it wasn't a a full, complete plan. Uh, Mackenzie had completely uh, changed that around, except for a couple of holes on the plan. And off he goes to uh, to Australia. So Australia, he uh, gets there and he designs the uh, the famous uh, 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 Royal Melbourne Golf Course that we uh, we have today. Now Mackenzie had a since. You know his background, and, and your your father and grandfather were associated with um, McKenzie. You you know how he worked. Uh, he spent very little time actually on the course design. Uh, I mean, on the course itself. Uh, he he walked the course. He you know he looked at the at the uh, the various uh, angles and everything because they didn't have. When he was designing his, particularly in the first part of his uh, career, uh, they didn't have any uh, any motorized uh, bulldozers or anything. This they used use horse drags to uh, to shift dirt, and um, so he spent a lot of time looking at the lay of the land and putting greens in places that would catch water and dew. you know, during the evening, and that therefore not requiring so much water and and natural obstacles, and I mean, he just was a master at looking at the land and designing a golf course. Uh, the new architects that we they call themselves uh, uh, minimalists are are getting back to that. The Dokes, the uh, uh, you know the um, the Vrieses, um, uh, even Crenshaw and Core to a certain degree. Crenshaw and Crenshaw and Core. Yeah. They, you know, they, uh, they they do they do courses that that they, that fall into the land pattern, not where they're the land pat the land is you know bulldozed into you know onto a course. So. Um, you know, which was the uh, the case you know when Robert Trent Jones started uh, doing courses you know with uh, uh, with the advent of of, uh, of machinery, but uh, anyway, uh, McKenzie would uh, uh, design the course and he came back and and uh, the course was was you know pretty much uh, laid out and uh, you know, we we got the medical club <laughs> so. <laughs> Well, I have a kind of one last question that I'll, I'll leave, and I, I think it's appropriate only because she had such a strong connection to Mackenzie and is being inducted into the World Golf Hall of Fame next year, and that is a, a lady by the name of Marion Hollins, and um, maybe kind of talk to her, talk about her kind of role with Mackenzie and, and kind of her importance in Mackenzie uh, uh, history. Well, sure. Marion Hollins was a uh, uh, an heiress. She was a, a 
fantastic athlete, uh, had had won the uh, uh, the U.S. Women's Amateur Championship in golf, and she was a polo player, and she was just a, a fantastic athlete. She was also a, a very f- a good friend of, of Robert Morse, who was uh, the owner of the Pebble Beach properties at this time. And uh, Morse wanted to do um, uh, Cypress Point uh, Golf Club, and he uh, he hired uh, Hollings to. Uh, drum up the membership, and so she she meant uh, Mackenzie in that guise, and was uh, was uh, taken with his not only his design, and he was taken with her ability to play. In fact, the famous uh, the famous 16th hole at at Pebble, you know, everybody knows the story that he wanted to make it a par four, a short par four. Uh, which is one of the strength of all Mackenzie courses is, is his short par fours. Uh, long before Crenshaw and and uh, and uh, uh, Core and and, uh, and some of the other designers now that you know revel over the uh, the short par four design. Mackenzie's always tried to have three or four of them on the, on his uh, designs uh, that were devilishly hard, but you know looked great on paper. And uh, he wanted to make the uh, the 16th hole at Cypress a par uh, a par four, and uh, Holland says, "No, no, it's it's it should be a par three. Look, it's only it's only uh, 225 yards, uh, you know, across the uh, the Pacific Ocean there." And uh, he says, "No way." And uh, yeah, the famous story is that she teed up a ball and and, and hit her driver onto the peninsula where the green, you know, eventually sat. And so he says, okay. So he moved the tee to where she had hit it from and made it a a, a par three. And uh, so, yeah, and so, and so far, the, uh, the probably the most famous and photographed uh, par three in the world. Um, he then, uh, when when he was uh, you know designing uh, the uh, the Cypress Point, uh, she was so enthralled that she asked him to design. Uh, her, a course for her uh, up on the uh, the hills north of, uh, of Santa Cruz called Pass Tiempo, and he went up and, and designed Pass Tiempo. Uh, virtually at the same time, they were being uh, built together. Uh, Pass Tiempo was actually finished just a little bit before Cypress Point, and um, and uh, she was very very enthused and and uh, you know gave him the house there. And instrumental in having him connected with Augusta National too, if I remember correctly. Well, yeah, that's that's true. Uh, what happened was that uh, Bobby Jones came out to uh, to play Pebble Beach um, for the U.S. Amateur, and uh, you know it's famous uh, that he he lost on the first round. Nobody ever expected, but it gave him all this time off to. Uh, you know, to to do other things. Now, Cypress Point wasn't uh, open at the time, uh, but it was ready to be opened. So uh, he was invited to come over and and play um, play the, uh, uh, the Cypress Point, and uh, he was he was just blown away by it. And uh, later he went up to uh, to play an opening um, uh, an opening foursome at the uh, at Pas Tiempo. And uh, again, Marion Hollins was behind uh, both of those. So Mackenzie was up in uh, Canada, 
and he was playing for this uh, senior, the uh, British seniors against the Canadian seniors. And he was at a, a course that he uh, he, des- he later designed nine holes for, um, called St. Charles. And St. Charles is an interesting course. Uh, it, it's, it's nine holes of Donald Ross and nine holes of McKenzie. Wow! And when you when you play it, you can absolutely see the difference in the designers, and and still enjoy both nines equally. And it's uh, it's absolutely amazing course. But anyway, uh, Holland's got on the call, and she says, uh, "Alistair, um, you better get here right now." And he says, "Well, why?" And he says, "Well, they've they've opened uh, Cypress Point Club and uh, to to some play." And some very important people have played it, and they want to uh, they want to talk to you. And so he says it's not supposed to be open. And she says, well, it is. So he hops on a uh, a train, and uh, in one of his better stories, he uh, he hops on the train, and and he, when he gets to the border, the train stops, and he says, well, what's what's happening? He says, well, it's the uh, alcoholic and beverage control people, you know, coming in the United States. It's being they, you know, the United States is under prohibition, and so he says, oh, oh, oh excuse me for a second. Left the club car, uh, goes to his his uh, his uh, room on the uh, on the train, and is in there when the uh, there's a knock on the door, and he says yes, and he goes, uh, you know, uh, beverage control, you know, and uh, this guy, he says, well, uh, I'm kind of indisposed, but you're welcome. Come on in, and uh, so the the uh, the inspector comes in. Mackenzie is sitting on the pot. <laughs> and, uh, and and the guy he says look around for you anything you know anything you need and uh, so the guy does uh, his check you know opens a few doors and leaves and Mackenzie gets up and pulls two bottle two liters of scotch out of the uh, out, of, out of out of the john so uh, but he gets he gets down to Cypress Point and uh, presumably happy. You know, and uh, and he uh, meets uh, Bobby Jones, and Bobby Jones uh, uh, asks him to do Augusta National at that point, yeah. which was against kind of Clifford Roberts's uh, 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 wishes because Clifford Roberts Roberts wanted uh, Donald Ross to do it. And uh, the rest with all the masters is history, right? You know, all the masters of history. Now, interesting enough, there is that auction. Uh, this coming Sunday, uh, there, somebody has just discovered a, uh, a um, the original hand drawing of Mackenzie of the of the now 13th hole uh, and uh, 12th hole at Augusta, signed by Mackenzie with his original notes. Wow! And uh, it's going for auction. I don't know what it is now, but uh, you know, about five days ago it was $31,000 going wow. for that wow. that uh, piece of paper. So. Uh, yeah, no, it's become extremely. McKenzie uh, um, designs have have seen since since they've seemed to get better over the years yeah. and more appreciated. Certainly, uh, certainly it, more appreciated. There's no doubt. Gary, if now, uh, if someone one of the interesting things, uh, just uh, just as a, an aside, yeah. uh, a few years ago, McKenzie uh, McKenzie uh, had done a La Hinch Golf Club over in uh, over in Ireland on the west coast of Ireland. And La Hinch, you know, it's got a famous name and everything, but it was originally designed by um, by Tom Morris. And uh, they asked McKenzie to go in and redesign it, which he did. And he, he was just, 
he was given free reign, except he had to leave two holes. Now, McKenzie designed this beautiful course and everything, and then, but uh, five years later, they had um, uh, they had a captain. Hinch had a captain that couldn't putt, so they kind of he kind of flattened all the greens, all of McKenzie's beautiful contours, and uh, and he just flattened all the greens so they so that he might be able to putt to putt. A few years ago, uh, uh, Martin Haltry redid the. Uh, uh, Le Hinch, and he tried to bring it back to normal, but they had absolutely nothing as far as the uh, uh, green um, designs or whatever. Uh, Hagen Oaks had, as you have mentioned to me, uh, has had the full 18 holes of uh, McKenzie's uh, uh, designs for golf course uh, greens. Uh, Metal Club only has five. Uh, Pass Tempo has something like 15. Uh, other clubs have various ones. And then what became evident is that McKenzie uh, put in often the same types of designs in, into uh, um, of, of greens in, into various spots where they fit on different courses. So uh, the uh, uh, Hagen Oaks' uh, green uh, were loaned to Martin Holtry, who used them to reestablish the uh, the contours of of Mackenzie's original greens in La Hinch. Wow, I, I I have been here for forty years here at Hagen Oaks, and I did not know that little bit of uh, information. That's remarkable. So our green designs uh, were reengaged half a world away. Yeah, half a world away. Yeah. Uh, one one of the things Mackenzie Society does is is besides. Uh, try to get young architects to uh, to think about uh, McKenzie's design precepts is to uh, to develop a uh, a catalog of all McKenzie's you know paperwork his designs his uh, um, everything that we can all anything that was uh, of uh, done by McKenzie, we tried to, to catalog and 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 get in into a uh, uh, into a, a cache where it, it's available to any McKenzie course, um, and so it's uh, uh, we've done that. And you know the uh, the we sent something like fifty green renditions uh, to Martin Holtry at the uh, at the time that he uh, uh, he did La Hinch, and uh, but prominent was uh, Hagen Oaks's. Oh, that's great. Well, I, I certainly appreciate the time. I, I uh, um, What you guys have done to save both physical records as well as uh, memory records of Mackenzie, um, the value of that cannot be overstated. For anyone that's out there that would like to know more about the Mackenzie Society, um, you can go to mackenziesociety.org. There's information on the website on the Ray Haddock Lido Prize. And uh, maybe there's somebody out there listening who uh, wants to uh, to enter the, at the next uh, uh, row of of uh, entry levels in that in that prize. We might have a a future winner listening right now. We would hope so, and it's a uh, it's a wonderful thing that uh, that you've done up at uh, Hagen Oaks, and I, uh, I I thank you for that. I've played it many a time, and and I walked it even more. And I appreciate uh, what you've done and your family has done for that uh, that course. 
Well, thank you very much for your time, and um, we will uh, look forward to uh, hearing more great Mackenzie history come out of this society in the future. Good day.